0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. The practice that will propel us into the year ahead is not another strategic plan, but intentional prayer. In this season of hurry and hustle, it is essential to slow down in order to hear from God. Let's leverage the last few weekends of 2019 to speak to God, seek his face, and wait on his reply. As we echo the prayer in Scripture, we can better hear his voice and follow his will. All right. Whew.
1: You know, you're not supposed to have church on Monday. Right? Right? God didn't show up on Monday, right? Come on, somebody don't get quiet on me. See, y'all you all all excited and, and, and fired up until I stand up here and you just go quiet. All right, now it's not nap time. It's time to hear the word of God. So come on, somebody. Hey, um, how about those stories that Jasmine got to share with you a while ago, man? Aren't those things cool? Can you just celebrate that one more time, the generosity of our church? You know, we, we decided to do this dollar club thing because we just felt like there was more need coming up in our church than we could meet. And, and there are people that sit around us, and they're good people, and they're making good decisions. They're just working uphill in a lot of ways. And, and they, they're not looking for a handout. They're looking for a hand up. They're looking for somebody just to believe in them and come alongside of them and invest in them. And, and it's just an honor. It's an honor to invest in you, Morgan Saunders. It's an honor to put that in that spot. But here's the thing. Y'all don't know this, but the Dollar Club isn't the only time we do that. We, we actually, because, because you guys are so generous, man. And this year has been phenomenal. And can I just, as your pastor, I don't talk about money a lot at, at this church. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that fuss at me because I don't talk about it enough. But here's the thing. Um, our hope is that you understand that God has blessed you. And there's not a greater place than you can invest your money than the local church. And we hope... And we hope we operate in a way that demonstrates that you trust us with that. And so when we do the above and beyond offering at the end of the year, we're not trying to put pressure on you to give more than you can or to beg you for money. We just realize that, that some of us have just been really blessed this year, and we understand that Scripture says we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so what we ask is, and that's why when we open up this offering, we say it's open till the end of the year, and if God's just putting it on your heart to give above and beyond your normal tithe, you just feel like, hey, man, God's put it on my heart to give an extra $5 or $50 or $5 million, uh, then we just want to give you the opportunity to do that. So it opens today, and it will be open through the end of the year, and we just want you to be obedient to God. Because uh, it enables us to do things you wouldn't believe. The things that happen. I mean, you wouldn't believe that that somebody could show up at our church on a Monday night and be in a really bad situation, and and actually not even have a place to live. And by the end of the week, our church step up in such a way that we have housing lined up from them. And even somebody in our church is so generous they give them a car. So thank you for the way that you give. And as we come to an end of another year, I know, like, it's been, it's been an amazing year for our church, but I understand it's not been an amazing year for everybody in it. Uh, and, like, you, you know that, that it's highly unlikely that Jesus was born in December. Like, really, like, Jesus' birthday was probably not December 25th. Which is why we celebrate him all year long. But I'm kind of glad that it's in December. Because by, for a lot of us, by the time December rolls around, we need something. Come on, like you need something just to. I know everybody's hopeful in January. This is my year. I'm gonna lose 50 pounds. Then it's December, it's like, oh crap, maybe next year, right? I don't, And I know, like, so by the time we get to December, like, I'm glad that it's Christmas, and I'm glad that we have made the decision we're not just going to cruise through it, that we're going to pause and recognize all the beauty and wonder that exists in this, one of the most significant events in all of human history, and that we realize that it's not just about a baby in a manger, and it surely ain't about ornaments on a tree. It's about the reality that God kept his promise. And that's what we've been celebrating, that when God broke his silence and the angel stood in the audience of a teenage girl named Mary and delivered a word that she would be pregnant with a child, everything was about to change for everyone, and that that was God keeping a promise that he had made thousands of years before, that the moment that sin entered the world, God promised that he would fix it. That although it would be ruined by Eve's sin, it would be restored by Mary's son. And so we're here to celebrate that. And that last line that Gabriel said to Mary is the line that I couldn't get away from this season. Where he says, the very last thing he says, hey Mary, just remember this. For no word from God will ever fail. And if there's anything that just embodies Who our God is, it's that line. No word from God will ever fail. Our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Say amen, somebody. Come on. God, we serve a God who makes promises, and every time he makes a promise, he keeps it. If he said it, you will see it. If he has said it, you will see it. And I know that we kind of have gotten away from talking about that, and I get why. But the reality is, you can't thumb through the pages of Scripture and not see just constantly God making promises to people. They're all throughout the Scriptures. Come on, right? Like from Genesis to Revelation, it's God making promises to people as ordinary and jacked up as we are. As messy as we are. As flawed as we are. Yeah, no, God owes you nothing, but in His grace and mercy, He has promised you many things. And I know we lose sight of that, and maybe I've said all throughout this series, the reason why maybe we forget that is because the distance between promise and payoff is so much longer than we would like. Oh, y'all, y'all just get to step right into your blessings. I'm sorry. Um, for most of us, like it, the distance between promise and pr- payoff is always longer than I would like. I would love for the moment, the moment that God speaks something into my life or he gives me a vision or I hear something from him, I want to just, I want, I, like I want it to be like Amazon, next day delivery. Like, I want, it, I want it now, and that we almost expect just to, boom, step right into promise, but say amen if you know it's a journey, and it's one that's longer and more difficult than you would like, and we've been talking about, all right, well, knowing that reality, like, how do we, how do we manage that mean time? That's what I call that space between promise and payoff, the mean time, how do we navigate that meantime? Because what we do in the meantime will determine whether we ever step into it or whether we forfeit ourselves from it. Like, how do we manage that meantime? And, and I told you what God's been teaching me, there's two things that I have to do to manage the meantime. Intentional prayer followed by unwavering obedience. Intentional prayer, like it begins with like intentionally seeking God. I said in week one to like, to like pray specifically and pray scripturally. Because God's promises are always in line with God's purposes, right? God's promises are not to give you your agenda, but to always accomplish his will, which is much better than your agenda anyway. Intentional prayer followed by unwavering obedience that you you listen to God and you do what he says. It ain't much more difficult than that, is it? You listen to God and you do what he says. But don't forget, scripture also very clearly tells us that if you're going to walk in unwavering obedience, you need to expect overwhelming adversity. Like I know we think, well, unwavering obedience means like the path's going to be clear. There ain't no sticks in it. There ain't no rocks in it. There ain't no chance we're going to trip. It's going to be downhill both ways all the time. But you and I know that's not true. That we can walk in unwavering obedience and go through some really difficult things. That it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be difficult seasons. And see, we forget that because sometimes when we bump up against adversity, we almost feel like we're being punished. And it must be because we're being disobedient. But the reality is that adversity that you're hitting is a direct effect of you being obedient. Remember we talked about Mary. (laughs) Mary did not have an easy road. I know we romanticized the Christmas story. But now Mary, in obedience to God, is is now found with child. But she is not married and now she has to go explain to her family and her fiance that she's pregnant by God. That, that was not an easy sale. We act like, again, that she just walked up to Joseph and said, I'm pregnant by God. And he was like, that's great. I'm so excited. There was adversity in that. And we need to walk this path and overcome it and push through it. But tonight may be the most important thing I've taught you all year. Because there's something, this what I'm about to talk about tonight is, is, is the most important thing that maybe we need to capture in this whole concept. Because while we're traveling that path between promise and payoff, and we're moving towards stepping into the full, fullness of God's promises, there is a really dangerous tendency that we must avoid. You with me? Say amen. The rest of you with me? Say something. Like there is there is a dangerous tendency that we have to avoid. Because see, while moving from promise to payoff, we can get so fixated on the idea of the promise that we elevate it over the one who made it. I need to say that again. Like, like we we can while walking this path, we can go get so fixated. On the payoff, we can get so infatuated with the promise that we elevate it over the one who made it and we fall more in love with what God can give us than who He is. And what happens is it all becomes about chasing the payoff instead of the person. It's easy to do, isn't it? Because God gives us a vision and man, it looks good. And we want it. We want that thing. We want to experience that stuff. We want to step into that blessing. And we get so fixated on the blessing, so fixated on the promise and its payoff. And we get so consumed by the idea of what it'll be like when we get there. And here's what happens the idea becomes an idol. And when that happens, there's a really bad shift that happens because no longer are we operating out of love for the promise-er, but we're operating out of love for the promise. You're with me? This is super dangerous because see, in managing the meantime, the thing that you will have to manage most is your motive. In the meantime, the thing that you will have to manage most is the motive. Because if you're not careful, you will elevate the payoff and the promise over the one who made it. And when that begins to happen, your motive begins to shift. And so you just need to hear me say the payoff is not priority, the payoff is not the priority. And when the payoff becomes the priority, it becomes what you're pursuing and not him. And God has a lot to say in his word. See, so what can happen is you can can be doing all the right things. You can be intentionally praying and you can even be unwavering in your obedience and you wonder why you're frustrated and unfulfilled. Maybe it's because you're doing it so that God will give you what you want, not because of honor for who he is. Because see, you can, you can be in pursuit of the payoff, but not be passionate about the person. And it can look really good. You can have the appearance of passion for God, but it's really about infatuation with what he can give you. And so you're doing all the right things. You praying, you going to church on a Monday after work. You even have an eight-pound King James Bible. And Caleb, preset number one, and you can do all the right things and say all the right things for all the wrong reasons you're not doing it because you understand who he is and because you're deeply in love with the God who created you you're just trying to step in all the right places so that God will give you what you want and God no longer is a heavenly father whose lap you crawl up in because you honor him, he does become Santa Claus, whose knee you want to sit on and just ask him to give you stuff. I know when I'm preaching good because that's when it gets really quiet. It's so easy. Like, like we can, how often do we do all these really important things? More because we're afraid that God's going to be mad at us or we're afraid he's going to withhold something from us if we don't do it. How often do we do we leave and work on a Monday night or we're getting up on a Sunday morning and we're going to church because I cannot wait to be with Jesus. But I wonder how often it's, it's about not really wanting to be with Jesus, but just not wanting to go to hell. How often are the things that we're doing really driven by genuine sincere love for the Lord? Like because, because we really love Him and know Him and understand Him and want we'll relationship with him? Or is it just because, hey, if I do, and it just becomes our entire spiritual walk becomes a, a checklist in order to, to, to kind of get what we want? Like, OK, I went to church. Check. Read my Bible. Because, see, I have notifications with the Bible app, and I get the verse of the day. I'll even post it on Instagram every now and then. Because I'm really holy and spiritual, trying to influence others. Like, I'll do all these things. And see, here's the thing. People can observe your methods, but only you, really, you and God really know your motives. See, this is why this is so dangerous, because it's really easy to hide. Because it's easy to think, there they go, so godly, spiritual. They go to church all the time, they tithe. That's really crazy spiritual. They do all these things. But here's the question, why? Because why matters to God. Motive matters to God. And we can give the appearance that everything is great, Going even to the Christmas story, remember King Herod? The magi from the east come by, say, hey, we're looking for the king. And he's like, that's me? No, not you, like a different kind of king. We saw his star. We come to worship him. And Herod says, ha, well, I want to worship him too. When you, when you go and find him, come back and report to me so that I can go and worship him. On the surface, it seems like, good for you, King Herod. But we all know the real motive. He's threatened by the authority of this new king. So much so, he would eventually issue a decree that would have all the boys under age two killed. But on the surface, for all appearances, it may have really looked like he just wants to worship Jesus. They go to that church all the time because they really want to worship Jesus. But here's the question. Is that really true? And see, nobody can answer that but you and God. But you cannot look at scripture and not see plainly all throughout, especially Jesus' ministry, that he points to, he cares a lot more about why, will we, why we do what we do than what we do. Let me show you. Go to John chapter 6. Y'all remember, remember this story? Like what has just happened is the miracle that all of us know because it involves food and we Southern Christians and any food story with food we hold on to. The feeding of the 5,000, and we have turned that into fish and loaves to biscuits and gravy with a side of bacon. Y'all remember this story, right? It's the, it's, even if you didn't go to church, you know the story that one day Jesus is out, is teaching, and the crowds have come, and the multitudes have gathered, and everybody's hungry, and, he, and Jesus looks at his disciples like, we got to feed these people. And he takes this little boy's lunch and he multiplies it into where there's leftovers and all these amazing things happen. And he feeds not 5,000 people, but more likely fifteen or 20,000 people because they only counted the men. And so the women and children included. This is even a grander miracle than we even understand. Look what happens next. Pick up verse 22, John chapter 6. It says, the next day. The crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread from the, after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Caper- Capernaum in search for Jesus. Now, all intents and purposes, like good for them. They're going after Jesus. Woo, amen. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And I think right here, they expect Jesus' response to be like, oh, Y'all came. Thank you. I'm so glad. It's like we expect Jesus to be impressed just because we showed up. That's how, we walk, that's how we walk in church. God, I'm here. You're welcome. I got up today, did my hair, put on my nice shirt. And it's like God's up there. Like, it's like when we show up at church, we think God's up in heaven going. Like, like I'm so proud of you. And I think maybe... The, that they thought that that would be Jesus' response. When they got there, like, look at all they did. They got in boats, and these weren't motorboats. They didn't have a mercury engine on the back. They rode. They expended energy and effort. And Jesus, in verse 26, says, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Like, you're not chasing me because you know who I am. You're not chasing me because what I've done has caused something to stir up in you where you recognize that I'm more than just fast food. Like you're not coming after me because you recognize my authority and my lordship over your life. You're coming at me because it's another day and you're hungry again and you're not coming after me for who I am. You're coming after me for what I can give you. And how many of us that really defines our spiritual life We're not chasing after Jesus because of who he is and because we recognize his authority and because we want to surrender to his lordship, but we just want to see what he'll give us. If I come after Jesus, he'll give me that promotion. He'll give me that car. He'll give me that relationship. Like if I do all these right things, Jesus will will give me all this stuff. And Jesus is like, no, like you're, you're coming at me for the wrong reasons. And it's dangerous to do that. Verse 27 says, do not work for food that spoils. In other words, he's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't pursue. But he's saying if you're going to pursue, if you're going to go all to all that trouble, if you're going to expend all that energy to come after me, do it for the right reasons. See, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Like, I do want to give you stuff. There are things I want you to have, but it's a lot better than some loaves and some fish. Like, like I got something better than a little boy's lunch. That if you come at me looking at me as Lord instead of looking for lunch, then I can do something special in your life. And you will experience a fulfilling like you've never known before says, for food that endures to eternal life, which with the Son of Matthew, for on him, God the Father, has placed his seal of approval. He's saying, like, look, guys, I appreciate the energy. I appreciate that you're coming after me. But as long as you keep coming after me with the wrong motive, you're never going to get what you're looking for. And see, so many of us, like, we're, we've been coming to church for a year now, and we're about to give up. Because it just didn't give us what we thought it would. We hear people talk about, oh, I worshiped at Vintage, and it was so good. God's doing these things in my life, and I'm being obedient here, and all this kind of stuff. You're like, well, I'm doing all that, too, and I got nothing. And maybe God's looking at you and says, it's because you're doing it for the wrong reason. Like, I'm glad you got in the boat, and I'm glad you paddled, and I'm glad you worked so hard to get here. And if you'll change your heart and change your motive... And if you'll really pursue me from the right place with the right passion, what I'll do in your life is more than you can ask or imagine. But if you're just coming at me for the superficial, material things that you think you're entitled to as a follower of me, it's always going to leave you empty. So they're like, what, what do we do? Verse 29, 28. And then they asked him, but what must we do? What what must we do to do the works God requires? Okay, like, like that sounds good. What do we do? Jesus responded, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And now when Jesus says believe, he doesn't just mean like just acknowledge that he exists. They obviously are, they know he's there, they know he exists. He's talking about a deep belief, a belief that acknowledges the authority of who he is. There's a lot of people that are going to celebrate Christmas all year long that don't know, don't have a clue who Jesus really is. And see, some of us, are like, oh, I believe in Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm even celebrating Christmas. Maybe you need to get beyond just believing in a baby in a manger and start surrendering to a king on a throne. And that's the kind of belief Jesus is saying that unlocks the fullness. Not the superficial belief that, yeah, Jesus is this or Jesus is that or just even acknowledging uh, acknowledging that Jesus is God's son, but living like it. Living, allowing yourself to be under the authority of his lordship where he is the one, the driving force in your life. That's the kind of belief that Jesus is calling them to. Not just this superficial belief that Jesus is some guy who lived at one time and maybe he's this or maybe he's that. He's saying, no, like like if you really, if you really want to experience all that I have. You have to believe in me, and when you really see me for who I am, you'll stop worrying about what I can give you, and you'll start worshiping me for who I am, because I'm worthy whether you get that thing or not. See, as long as our motive is wrong, everything we do is off. Like, worship becomes really about manipulation instead of affection, Like we'll come in here and we'll throw up our hands and we'll sing to the top of our lungs and you're welcome that the music is so loud that nobody can hear you, so stop complaining about it. But are we really doing that out of affection for who God is or are we just doing it because we think that's how we can manipulate God and do what we want? See, God, I showed up, I worshiped you. I sang that song and I didn't even know it. I could barely read the words on the screen. I lifted my hands. and You know how uncomfortable that makes me. And God's saying, "Are you doing this out of affection, as an expression of affection for who I am? Or are you just trying to manipulate me? Because God cannot be manip- manipulated. Maybe that God, you cannot manipulate God into giving you what you want. But can we be honest? Sometimes we live like we can. God, I'm gonna get up. Or I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna get up at 5:30 to read my Bible." I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's not because I want to spend time with you and I want to have a better understanding of who you are so that I can have a better understanding of who I am. I just want to check all the boxes so you ain't mad at me, so you'll give me what I want. You ever been there with your kids? You know when they're really loving you and when they want something. So If you're not a parent in this room, you, you don't... Let me tell you something. When you become a parent, it will teach you more about God than anything you'll ever do. And you know that face. I mean, when, when it's genuine and it's sincere and it's, I want money. And we're trying to manipulate God into doing these things. And Jesus, he quotes Isaiah in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And see, then everything becomes, everything we do in our obedience is more in reaction instead of reverence. Like we're reacting to the circumstances around us, and and it's not really out of reverence for who he is. It's reacting to what's happening around us just instinctively in order to do the right thing so that he'll give us what we want. And it's not an expression of honor for who he really is. We've read this verse several times throughout this year. James chapter four, verse three. says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Or how about this? You remember this conversation? Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? You know essentially what he's asking? Jesus. What do I do to get what I want? You're like, but Matt, it's he wants a good thing. Yeah, he does. And again, I wonder how much, how much of our love for Jesus is just because we want to avoid hell when we die instead of live for Him while we're alive. Like, how much is that driven? Like, we really just, we just, we just want just enough Jesus so that when I die, I can spend eternity where I want to spend eternity. But I don't, want God, I want you meddling my life in the meantime. And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Because you know, like Jesus wasn't talking about the 10 commandments. He's talking about the law, which was a lot more than 10. Hundreds. Like, which ones? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept. Check, 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 check. I've done it all. And sometimes you do like Jesus, I do it all. I go to church, I read my Bible, I don't cuss, I don't do all these things. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, Jesus. But why am I empty? And why do I not have the things that I feel like you've promised? And he says, what do I still lack? And then Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. What Jesus is, and then it says, the young man heard this and he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, in that moment, Jesus revealed what had happened in this man's life is what happens to ours. At some point, he elevated the promise over the one who made it. And you know how you know that? When he was asked to let go of it, he wasn't willing. You can tell what's important to you by where you invest and where you hold on. And when he's asked to let go, he reveals, see, the whole time he was doing all this stuff to gain the payoff, not out of reverence and love for the one who promised it. And we fall into the same trap that God makes us a promise. And we see it in a distance and we get so fixated on it that we get infatuated with it. And we elevate it over the one who made it. And the next thing you know, our motive has gotten off kilter and we're just going through the motions. Y'all with me? So here's the question. How do we avoid that? That's a great question. Can I tell you what God's been teaching me? Sean Calder, will you come up here for a second? And just go around and come on up. Like, we, we do some weird things. When we feel like God's moving in our lives. You would think when God starts moving in our lives, that's, that's like the time when we're most passionate. But can I tell you, when God's moving in your life and promise you things is when you're most vulnerable. Say amen, somebody. Like somebody, so this is what we do. Stay right there for a second, Sean. We have this moment where we're living in relationship with Jesus and things are good and we're close and we're tight and God starts to reveal things to us about ourselves and about him and all that he wants and then all of a sudden he gives us this picture of what could be and this is what we tend to do. We look at him like, thanks, Jesus. I'm glad you showed me all that. I'm gone. And we start moving towards the payoff, leaving him behind. How many know it's dangerous to get ahead of God? And that's the mistake we make. Like, God, we're we're in this place where we're close to God, and then we start feeling these benefits. And in the moment, it's like we want to just go off. We want to run off without him, and we want to get ahead of him. And what we don't need to realize is like he's got to go with us. And you know what? We got to stay in step with him. Not ahead of him, not behind in in step. But even that's hard to do, right? Because along the way, I get distracted. And, And Jesus starts going and I'm looking over here. Bird, squirrel, what's happening? I got spiritual ADD. And so... I thought, okay, well, what I need to do is, like, just, okay, I need to focus. But here's the problem. If you focus on the promise instead of the promise-er, that's when you begin to get the things out of order. And So I feel like first I thought, all right, it's about eyes on the prize, eyes on the payoff, focus on the goal. And then God gave me this kind of line I thought. Maybe it's from God. Like, focus on the goal and trust the God. That's good. It's two G's. I'm an alliteration kind of person. Focus on the goal and trust the God. But then God started saying, number one, like, don't, don't even look at the goal. Look at the God. That you keep your eyes on the God and you'll get to the goal. You focus on the giver And the gift will come. It's even better. I ain't ain't even got to the good stuff yet. Then God started showing me this. See, we always say, it's about the journey, not the destination. Right? No. See, the journey's only enjoyable when you're going with somebody you love. It's not about the journey. It's who's on it with you. And so maybe maybe it's not focus on the goal and trust the God. Maybe the goal is the God. It's not about the gift and the maybe the, the gift is the giver. Maybe all along, what this is about is is God showing you something so that He can walk with you with it so that you can do it together. And all the way that you're falling deeper in love with Him as you walk with Him and you move in step with Him and you trust Him and He's revealing things about His nature and His character and you're understanding who He really is. And maybe the process of joining in Him and deepening your relationship is more important than the prize that you had in mind. Thank you, Sean. So why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you showing up at church? Why are you serving? Why are you reading your Bible? Why are you doing all the things that you're doing? Is it just so that you can get to that place and step into blessing and you're just trying to serve God for his hand or is it because you're so deeply in love with Jesus that every day is just a chance to know him better. Every day is a chance to understand him deeper. When you get to that place, when you wake up every morning knowing that what lies ahead of you that day is an opportunity for you to better know your creator, to deepen your relationship with the one who died for you, what will unleash in your life then is far better than that thing you see in a distance the gift doesn't compare to the giver father I pray right now that in this moment you would help us to check our hearts that you would help us to look deep into our soul and God if somewhere along the way we've allowed our motive to shift and we've elevated your promises and all the things we believe you have for us, if they become more important and more valuable than you alone, God, would you recalibrate our hearts? And tonight as we finish in worship, maybe There's some people in this room, Lord, that need to worship you more sincerely and authentically than they ever have. That they cry out in praise to you. They lift hands in honor to you. They fall on their knees in reverence to you. Not with a motive of hoping that you will see it and acknowledge it and give them what they're asking for. But because you're worthy. Because you're worthy of our worship and that you alone deserve the praise. So God, I pray that you would just turn hearts back to you in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community you'll also have access to our Deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.